0: Happy Mother's Day. We are so glad you're here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is such a joy to be here. Wow, to experience worshiping you all together. I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that you are our loving Father. I thank you that in everything we do, you guide us, you teach us. And Father, now, we look to you. We look to you, and we wait to hear from you. Thank you that every single word that you have given us is true. You are truth. We love you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, welcome to Woodlands Church. We are so excited you're here. We're here, glad you're here on Mother's Day. And on Mother's Day... I want you to know that we are celebrating all of you. Motherhood, that journey looks different for so many people. And whether you are battling infertility and the pain that goes along with that, or maybe you've lost a child, maybe you've lost your mother, maybe this year has been hard, I applaud you for showing up, for being here, for pushing through pain and celebrating on a day that's hard. And for those of you who are moms, welcome. We celebrate you. We celebrate with you. We're so glad you're here. Now, one thing I thought about discussing today was Proverbs 31. I thought, you know, well, we could talk about the Proverbs 31 woman, you know, the one who is up before dawn. She works hard all day. She never stops smiling. But then we just all leave discouraged, wouldn't we? Or we might leave bitter because we didn't have a mom like that. Well, if you are celebrating an imperfect mother today, just know, you know, welcome to the human race because there's no such thing as a perfect mother. As Carrie and I raised our four children, it was so easy to see that God gets the credit for every single good thing in our children's lives. Anything we have done right has come through him. And so I want to share just a few of the ways that God has surprised me through this journey of motherhood. Carrie and I met in high school. We married in college, and by our 20s, we thought, you know, I think we're ready to raise another human being. I don't know what we were thinking. I mean, honestly, I look back and I thought, yeah, we just thought, having a baby sounds like a great idea. I mean, after all, we knew some babies, and they were great. They were cute. They were fun. Uh, They're really adorable for the seven minutes that we would spend with them. And it was just awesome. We thought, you know, let's have one of our own. Well, pregnancy was not what we expected. First of all, it was much harder to get pregnant than we had assumed. It was a kind of a long journey for us, and it's hard. And my heart really goes out to those of you who are walking that path. And I then spent the two, first two months of pregnancy on bed rest, complete and total bed rest, I had to leave my job. And then the last month, I was on bed rest again for other complications. So that whole pregnancy journey wasn't the time of just smiling and glowing. I didn't have any of that pregnancy glow going on. I just felt fat and uncomfortable, and it was hard. But again, for those of you who was a great experience, that's awesome. It was just hard for me. And then birth was difficult. Now, I had expected the TV version. You know, a few dramatic pushes, and there you go. It was nothing like that for me. Instead, I was in labor for what seemed like forever, for hours and hours and hours and hours, and a day had almost gone by, and grandparents are all waiting in the hospital. And eventually, Carrie's dad came in the room, and he said, uh, hey, Carrie, why don't we get a sandwich in the cafeteria? You're probably hungry. And Carrie jumped at the chance, and, you know, walked out the door. Now, did I want him to stay? Of course I did. But I also didn't want to seem needy. What I wanted to say was, hold it. Wait a minute. I feel scared. I am exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. I've never done this before. Oh, and I have another human inside of me, and I'm having back-breaking contractions, and guess what? I'm starving. But in Carrie's defense, what I actually said was, um, Okay, uh, could you try to come back pretty soon? I gave him the okay. He walked out the door. Now, I'd like to stop right here and make a public service announcement for all of the mothers and mother-in-laws who offer seemingly just unasked for, unsolicited advice when their daughters or daughter-in-laws are pregnant and giving birth. We're simply saying the stuff that we wish we would have had the courage to say back when it was our turn. I mean, I have stood inches from the face of my sons and son-in-law when their wives were giving birth and said, don't you dare leave this room. (laughs) Oh, you're uncomfortable? Oh, that must be so hard for you. (laughs) Really? Oh. It is a miracle that any of them still claim me. But back in the hospital, Carrie and his dad are enjoying a nice French dip with some fries, and back in the room with me though several alarms started beeping and the nurses rushed in and they said the baby's umbilical cord is compressed we need to do a c-section right away now sure we could have texted him except for cell phones hadn't been invented (laughs) there was no way I could tell Carrie get back here And so all of a sudden, all these medical personnel started rushing into the room. And I was saying, wait, wait, could one of you please run down to the cafeteria and tell my husband to come on back? And one of the nurses said, oh, I'm sorry, honey, this baby is going to be born before any of us could even get down there. Now, one of the reasons that I know God loves Carrie so much is that he happened to walk back in the door right before our son was born. He was there to see Ryan born and all of the agony of the past hours and months just melted away as we held Ryan we held this perfect little baby and just thought oh he's so wonderful you know can you even believe it you know so so small so perfect so miraculously formed uh, there's a saying that says that every mom has the most beautiful child in the world and it's hers and you know that's true you look and think oh wow and eventually after we just you know fawned over Ryan I was exhausted. Carrie was exhausted. And so I did what I'd been instructed to do, which was you ring the bell and say, um, you know, buzz your nurse and say, "Um, yes, could you please come get my baby? And they'd come in and put him in the little, you know, uh, incubator isolate thing and wheel him away, wheel him out the door and park him in front of that big window down at the nursery. You know, line him up with all the other babies so everybody could see them. And when you had gotten some rest and you were ready for it, you ring the bell again in in like a library book I would check out my baby I say oh could you bring my baby back to me and they'd bring him back in and I'd get to spend time with him but I got to sleep a little bit in the hospital and so you know I thought you know this motherhood thing I'm pretty good at it actually and we were discharged from the hospital and sent home and we put him in his car seat and drive away from the hospital, and it's just the three of us, Carrie and Ryan and I, and we have our little family in the car, and Carrie and I are just beaming and thinking, you know, yeah, we're parents. This is awesome. By the middle of that night, I was, you know, telling Carrie, those crazy, irresponsible people at the hospital, what were they thinking sending us home with a baby, a newborn? We don't have any idea what to do. I was overwhelmed. It was so much responsibility. Never had I so acutely been aware of the gap between what I was and what I needed to be. There's a verse in the Bible, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. That was my first big surprise from God because I knew this verse, but I'd never really understood it. And suddenly I realized that God had seen in me the ability to be Ryan's mom long before I did. He gave me this little human before I was ready, before I had fully developed and mastered all the attributes required to be a good mother. I hadn't mastered endurance or sacrifice or responsibility or self-discipline. And you know, there'd be no mothers on this earth if that was the case. You know, Jesus always meets us where we are, and then he doesn't leave us there. He loves us too much. He takes us to where he wants us to be. But I felt like, you know, I was building an airplane as I flew it, doing this motherhood thing. But God proved his, traum- his promises to me day by day. I leaned harder on God than I ever had in my life. And during the nights, I learned that, no, he really does give strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak, like it says in Isaiah I learned these promises are true because I tested them. I tried them out. I leaned hard on them. God, let me see my inadequacies clearly through my human inability to be everything that this helpless, tiny, precious little baby needed. I came face to face with the truth that this child needed way more than I could give, more than Carrie could give. He needed what only God could give. There's only one place to turn. And so uh, there's a verse that I put over his crib to remind myself of how trustworthy God's presence and protection were. And it's this, for he is always watching, never sleeping. Jehovah himself is caring for you. He is your defender. He protects you night and day. I saw that verse a hundred times, a thousand times, because every time I walked in his room, over his crib was that verse, and I would read it and remind myself, okay, God, That's right. You are protecting him. You are defending him. And as God trusted me to trust him, I slowly realized that I was to imitate God's example as a parent. And I wasn't to withhold responsibility from my kids as they grew up. I wasn't supposed to withhold all responsibility until they could handle it perfectly. And that applies to all kinds of things. Um, chores, trying new things. You know, if you're gonna wait till your kid can make a bed perfectly before you let them, or you feel like you have to go fix it when they get done, they'll never learn. And learning to let go, to be okay with imperfect, and to let them take on responsibility before they're ready is the one way that they can learn. It leaves room for them to trust God, for them to learn, for them to learn from Him. So I found that as God showed me a truth, I was able to put it into my own parenting practice. Well, 15 months later, our son Joshua was born. And it was six weeks before his due date that I suddenly went into labor during the night. And God mercifully answered our intense prayers that his little underdeveloped lungs would mature and heal. And after 10 days, we brought him home from the NICU and were discharged from the hospital. Well, I hadn't been home since we left in the middle of the night. You know, I'd stayed at the hospital that whole time. And Carrie had gone back and forth, um, you know, taking care of Ryan. And I hadn't planned on giving birth without preparation, without bringing a bag. But that's what happened. And so it got to be time to come home. And I didn't have a little outfit for him to wear home and to take the picture, the going home picture to bring home. And I thought, no worries. No worries. We have plenty of baby boy stuff. We have a 15-month-old son at home. It's all in Ryan's dresser. So I told Carrie, look at me, this is important. When you go home tonight, I need you to get a few things for Joshua for tomorrow. Get a little outfit, a pair of socks, and a baby blanket. He was born in January, and he needed a blanket. So a little outfit. Now, this child is under five pounds. So get a little outfit a pair of socks, and a baby blanket. The next day, Carrie showed up. I've already been, signed the papers. We're discharged. We're ready to go. And I said, okay, you got his stuff so we can take his picture? And Carrie said, I sure do. And he pulled out of his bag a size two toddler <laughs> long underwear with stains on it. Like it was bigger than the child we had at home. I didn't even know where it came from to this day. I just thought, One sock. Only one. And I thought, okay, you know, I was just, I I couldn't believe he pulls this out. I was like, what? I thought, okay, we're just going to wrap up a blanket over him and hide it all. A fitted crib sheet. With elastic, you know, all the way around the edges. It was freezing cold outside. To put it mildly, I was surprised with his choices. But God had another surprise. And I found that he gives his children grace when they deserve it the least. Because just as I was about to break down in tears, a dear friend from church walked into our hospital room with a gift, and it was a little preemie-sized outfit that was just perfect. Now, this was such a grace-filled act of the Lord to us. It was so like the Lord I can see that now so clearly. And make no mistake, when God leads you to bless someone else, you are being used by God to do that. And when something like that comes into your life, when a friend or a neighbor, a coworker or a stranger meets your needs, you need to recognize it's God ministering to you through human hands. You see, he longs to care for you and delight in you. And he can use anyone or any means he wants to, to achieve it. Now, of course, an outfit to wear is hardly of any consequence in the grand scheme of things. But the Lord knew that as a new mom, I mean, I was really stressed out at this point. Um, It had been a very, very stressful time having a premature baby, not knowing how he would do it first, um, even if he would make it. It had been really hard, and God knew this was important to me. And he answered that without me even praying or asking for it. God met my needs, and he used this occasion to remind us that we didn't need to worry about being too weak to take care of this little child's needs or anticipate every single thing. God would have his eye on every detail of Josh's life. Uh, The Apostle Paul, um, when he had difficulties, and he calls it a thorn in the flesh, come into his life, and he prayed for them to be removed three times. And the answer that he was given was this, each time, He, God, said to Paul, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Over and over and over through the years, God has proven this to be true. When we are the weakest, when we see that we are the the most inept, the most unable to help our children or give them what they really need, God's power has been the most evident. When we are the weakest, he really is the strongest. That's what we found. God desires the very best for our kids, even more than we do. Although I have to admit that sometimes I don't recognize it as good in the moment. Sometimes I pray a certain prayer for my children and that's not answered and sometimes I don't hear an answer and I interpret his silence as, you know, him his absence. That's not true. God's silence is not his absence. I've learned that this is the advantage of age talking. You know, our four children are now all married. And now they've given us uh, now we have eight kids because I think of our son-in-law and daughter-in-law as, as our own children. And I've seen it over and over and over a thousand times. Don't you just love it when God gives us grace? Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Um I love it when I deserve punishment and I get grace. And as I prayed about it throughout our kids growing up years, there are many times where God led me to give them grace when they didn't necessarily deserve it. Now, a lot of times, punishment's the answer, better believe it, discipline is a sign of love. And sometimes it's grace, but God will show you ways to give your kids grace when they need it. And when you do that, when God leads you in that, it's not enabling, it's allowing them to see that, yes, grace is available in talking about God. Now, Next, we had a little girl, and our boys were two and three, and we had a precious little girl named Megan, and when she was one year old, we felt God leading us to plant Woodlands Church. Those were crazy, stressful, joy-filled, faith-building years, and when the church was two, and Megan was three, and Josh was four, and Ryan was five, our son Stephen was born. Now, You would have thought another child would push us over the edge at this point. We had three preschoolers, um, and then we added another. Life was crazy, but our days were filled with bottles and diapers and toys all over the floor. All the church equipment was stored in our home and garage to be taken by the U-Haul every weekend and set up, taken down. That was the highlight of our kids' lives. They loved doing that. Um, It was the low light of our lives. But God used this time to teach me and surprise me again. And I learned that my limitations do not limit God. My limitations, and there's a lot of them, I have so many limitations, they don't limit God. Itzhak Perlman is a well world-class violinist. He's amazing. If you've never heard him play, I encourage you to look it up, listen to it, it's amazing. And he gave a concert in 1995 in New York City. And if you're familiar with Itzhak Perlman, he was stricken with polio as a child. And so he has two crutches and he walks slowly and carefully. And so when he came on stage for this evening performance, he walked out slowly to the center and sat down and unstrapped and adjusted his crutches and then picked up his violin And after quite a bit of waiting, the audience was in rapt attention, just anticipating getting to hear in person this amazing artist play. And he started off, and he played beautifully, and halfway through the concert, right in the middle of the piece, there was a sound almost like a gunshot, and it was one of his strings snapping. And the tension is so tight that it gives a really loud sound when it snaps, everyone in the room immediately recognized that this just brought everything to a screeching halt because there's only a few options here. Either he would need to walk off the stage and prepare, you know, repair his violin, make it, you know, get it fixed, or get another violin, or maybe someone would eventually come out and bring him another violin, but then he'd need to tune it and go through the whole tuning with the orchestra again. Or maybe they'll just call this whole thing off at this point, considering what would need to be done. And so with that in mind, the audience just all waited. But none of those things were what happened at all. Instead, Itzhak Perlman closed his eyes for a minute, and he picked up his violin, and he put it under his chin, and then he went on to play on three strings what few people in the world can play on four. People who were there said that, They could see him with his eyes closed, sweating as he played, constantly redoing the fingering in his head. It was rethinking how he could make it work. And he continued to play the whole way through, recomposing all the way. It was just phenomenal. People were stunned in amazement. And as soon as he finished, everyone jumped up to their feet and applauded and cheered. And I want to share with you what he said afterwards. He said, you know, sometimes... It's the artist's task to find out how much music you can make with what you have. Now, on most days as a mom, I feel like a three-stringed violin. I feel like I simply do not have what it takes to make the music that my family needs. It's just not within me. I don't have it. And the truth is, I don't, and that's okay. I have learned and I'm still learning To be okay with being imperfect. And moms, you need to hear this. The artist who created you, your master creator, he knows how to make beautiful music through you. Missing strings don't limit him. Your kids need to know this is true. If we demand perfection from them, we'll be disappointed and their spirits will be crushed. There's room for the master to work in all of our lives. There's so much grace. And instead of getting focused on the places that I'm inadequate, and there are a ton of them, the thing we need to do, and that I need to do, and I have to remind myself daily, is to continue to look to God. And remember, you know what? I was never meant to do this life on my own. None of us were. None of us were meant to do life without God. He wants to live through us, in us, and through us. See, you can't fool the people who live with you. They know what you're really like. They know if you try to impress people outside the family with um, your skill at deception. I mean Think about that. That's what it really is when we try to impress other people. Our kids know what we're really like. And this means that I can only pass along what I live out. I can only pass along what I live out. And this process reminds me of the way mother birds feed their chicks, the mother hunts for the food and she eats it, and after it's at least partially digested, and you've all seen the pictures, she leans over the little nest and the baby birds open their mouths and she regurgitates it to feed her children. Happily for us, that is not God's plan for how human kids are fed. But it is the way that passing on truth works. The truth is not a thing to be learned. Truth is a person Truth is a person to be known and adored. Truth is Jesus Christ. Now, you can tell someone about religion without swallowing it yourself. That happens all the time. But it's impossible to share Jesus with your kids without first experiencing him for yourself. You can only pass along the truth that you eat. You can only pass along and live out the truth you eat that's really in your life. It's the only kind your kids will digest. Kids have an incredibly high hypocrisy meter. And they know when we are saying one thing and doing another. See, God had another surprise. And we found this especially with, with, when we had Stephen. I, I saw it so clearly. I saw that he gives us joy where we look for it. Because instead of being completely overwhelmed, we we're starting to ride on the goodness of God. And Matthew chapter 9 tells of two blind men who followed after Jesus, crying out, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus replied this. He said, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, let it be done to you. This is astounding. And God proved it to be true. Stephen wasn't a burden. He was a joy, and he still is. It wasn't that I was superwoman by this point, by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I remember being discharged after just under 24 hours. And they said, okay, you're discharged. And I just had the baby. I'd had Stephen the afternoon before. And I said, oh, hold it, hold it. Please let me stay with you. Let me stay here. Don't send me home. I have three preschoolers at home. Don't send me home yet. Please. And they said, sorry, your insurance will only pay for one night. So see ya. And I went home with no more ability or skill than I'd had before. The difference wasn't in my ability, it was in my attitude. Because God had proven his trustworthiness to me over and over and over and over. And I expected him to come through. I mean, I was counting on him. And I admit, with Ryan, with our first, I was, I don't know, God, I mean, can you do this? Can you do this? He came through and again and again and again. And I'd try out another promise and lean hard on it. God came through. Every single time I turned to God and leaned hard on him and said, okay, God, you promised this. I'm looking to you to keep your promise. He did. He came through in dramatic ways and joyful ways in little ways and big ways. And not just surviving, but somehow we were able to experience joy in the chaos. And I'm not gonna lie, it was chaotic. It was always chaos at our house. It still is. But throughout my motherhood journey, the biggest surprise has been that the whole time I thought I was the teacher, I was actually the student. I was the child, his child. And instead of always assuming this parent role, I realized, you know what? God is just teaching me through my kids. I've learned far more from my kids than I've ever taught them. And my father had and still has much more to teach me. I found that he expected more of me than I expected of myself. And that is what good parents do. Listen, the Apostle Paul said this to the believers in Corinth. And this is what I want to be able to say to my kids. what I want you to be able to say to your kids. This is the way we're to live as believers. He said this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, guess what we're going to do right now? We are going to memorize this verse. I I believe in you. I know you can do it. A lot of times we say, take this verse home, memorize it. Look at this verse and just take a look at it. It's right here for you. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. There's two follows. There's two examples. Half of it's done for you right there. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That is our memory verse for this week. You know, on my hand, I should probably not be writing on my hand at this stage in my life, but I still do. On days when I need it, I write myself reminders. A lot of times it's a verse. Right now it says, FMTC, which is my little reminder, follow me to Christ. Can I say that? Follow me to Christ. Now what's really important here is I'm not saying follow my words, follow my life. Can we say, follow my life. Do as I do. This is a really important litmus test. Can I say, Hey, kids, imitate my life today, and I'm gonna show you how to live. I'm gonna show you this unforced rhythm of grace that is living with Jesus Christ. You know, even in my best parenting moments, I'm just the faintest shadow of Christ. And by the way, my best parenting has usually been on my hardest days because good parenting is hard. It's really hard. On the days when you just push through, you plow through, you you know, you, you keep having patience when you want to scream back at your child, when you want to tell your teenager, okay, yes, the answer is yes, just leave, just go. And sticking with no and hearing, you know, you know being called names or, or being yelled at or what a horrible parent you are. Those days are hard. Turns out sacrifice hurts. It's another lesson we can learn from Jesus Christ. But the way we live, integrity is key with our kids. Paul says, What we write about when we're away, we do when we're present. We're the exact same people, absent or present, in letters or in person. No matter where you find me, you're going to find I'm the same person. I'm not different at church than I am at home. I'm not different, uh, you know, when I write to you and then when I'm nearby, you know, try to please you. Now, spoiler alert here, your kids will not follow the path you tell them. They'll follow the path you take. Whatever path it is you're taking, they Follow in the steps that we, the footsteps that we thought we covered up. Your kids are watching. You can't trick them. They know who we are. I want to leave you with one last thought. This is especially for moms. Don't do this life alone. Don't do it alone. You need some people around you to encourage you, to remind you on hard days because parenting is hard. Don't do it alone. Social media doesn't count, by the way. It actually probably counts against real connection. You need real people to connect with. God did not create us to be constantly um, rated by strangers. It does damage to us. We look to God for our approval. Just please Him. God created us that way. And your kids need the same thing. You know, whatever we do, our kids are going to do. Do you want your kids? If you have young children and your kids see you always scrolling, Do you want them? Is this the life you want for them? Do you want them to, you know, count their likes, to tally up their self-worth based on how many likes they get? We have to keep the real goal in mind, and that is to build lives of obedience into maturity. That's what the Bible says our goal is, to build lives of obedience into maturity. Our goal as parents is not to raise a pro athlete or a, a famous musician. Now, that may happen, but it's not our goal. It's not how we decide things. I read in a poll from the Harvard School of Health that 26% of parents who have kids in high school sports, they think their child may become a professional athlete. Here's reality for you. 0.00075, that's 7,500 thousandths of high school athletes make it to the pros each year. To put that number into perspective, that is roughly the same odds as being struck by lightning at some point in your life. Now, I'm not not knocking uh, kids' activities at all. Our kids were involved in activities. I think it's great. Kids learn all kinds of stuff on team sports. And they they get exercise. And in band and music, It's, it's great. There's all kinds of things to be learned. But I think the message for us parents is to realize that we are the ones, we've been given this child by God. We are the caretaker of their schedules. And we're the ones that are responsible to oversee and guide them in decisions but so often it gets easy. It's like the frog in the kettle day by day to, you know, you get another, another schedule from the coach. Oh, looks like we've added another practice night this, this year, you know, or this month. Oh, oh wow, this is every weekend for the next three months? Oh, you know, you start to realize that your priorities are slipping away, but you don't quite, quite know what to do with it. And I would encourage you to be strong and to remember that God gave you this child and you know, hard choices are involved. The chances of your child needing to reach the elite level in any given um, thing that he, he or she pursues is minuscule. But consider this there is a hundred percent chance that your child is going to encounter rejection, they are going to encounter temptation, they are going to encounter relationship emotions that they cannot handle, they don't know what to do with. And there's a 100% chance that your child will someday stand before God. So my point is this, get your child to church. It's important. Our kids, our four kids, I do not know what we would have done without a kids ministry and a junior high ministry and a high school ministry. Having other people around them, other voices besides ours that they could look to to hear wisdom and truth and be pointed in the right direction. There's some stuff, I don't care how close you are with your kids, there's some stuff they probably are not going to say to you. But if there's someone else who they've developed a relationship with, they have a student pastor that they can bring this question to, we welcome that. We told our kids, we told student pastor, hey, we love that. We love that. Gosh, all the sources of wisdom in their life that are available, we hope they, they grab and hold on to. The best gift that you can give your kids is to help them develop their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about religion. Religion just causes guilt and shame and pride. But what your kids need most before they leave your home is an understanding from personal experience, their own personal experience, that God really is their loving Father. He is always watching, never sleeping. Jehovah himself is caring for them. They need to know that when they're afraid They can fear no evil because they know their heavenly father will not allow them to be hurt. They need to know that God will wipe every tear, that he draws close when they're brokenhearted, that they can turn to him and rely on him. God is their provider. He's their refuge, their strength. Your kids need to know from personal experience that Jesus Christ is their king and their redeemer. And they need to know that their value is wholly unrelated to what they look like or how they perform at school or the field or how many friends they have or how many likes they get. Their value is beyond comprehension, not just because mom and dad love them, but because the king of the universe went through the unimaginable so that he could have a relationship with them. And your kids need to learn from personal experience to recognize that still small voice of the Holy Spirit to guide them. You are not always gonna be there as much as you'd like to to tell them what to do, what choice to make. A day will come where you know, they're going to make their own choices if it hasn't come to that day already. They need to know personally the Holy Spirit so that when they are tempted or they feel uncertain or they they don't know what to do in a situation, that they can seek wise counsel, that they will make choices, uh, whether it's about friends or who to marry, based on a relationship with God and His Word that they have a guide to rely on. And I can tell you, one of the greatest joys of my life after being taught by my kids and by God through all these years, it is a joy to have adult children, not who are perfect, and they sure don't have any more perfect parents than they did on the day they were born, but adult kids who are friends, they are fellow travelers on this road. That together we are making our way through this life. You know, and now there's another generation coming up. The grandchildren. We get to continue pouring life into all these behind us. It is a high call and it's a high privilege. And I encourage you, whether you are a parent or not, there are students around you. Students within your extended family, maybe kids of your friends, maybe it's neighbors, but students who need adults who will speak truth into their lives, who will keep pointing them in the right way, who will walk this path with them. Let's be those people. Let's be the torchbearers. Let's be the carriers of the faith. Let's remember what's important. Let's remember life is short. Boy, the older I get, the more clear that is I just had my kids. All those stories I told you in the, you know, in the waiting rooms and in the delivery rooms—they just happened. It, I was just there. Now they have kids of their own. Let's stay the course. This is just the first chapter of our story. We have all eternity to draw close to Him. This is our only chance to praise Him because. We choose to. The Bible says that in heaven, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, not just in heaven, but everywhere. The whole world, all, one day, all will bow their knees and confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. Let's do it while we're here. Pray with me. Holy Father, you are the only perfect parent. And I'm amazed that you, in your vast creativity, created this plan, this system here on earth where we would be born into families, that we have mothers and fathers. You could have done it differently. You could have just created each one of us uh, as an an individual all by ourselves, but you created us to live in community, to be in families, to learn from each other as we learn from you. Father, help us this week to follow you so that we can say to those coming up behind us, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow my example. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for making up the difference between what we need to be and what we are. We live for you. We make that choice. We declare you are our king. And in your precious name we pray, amen. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.